I'm very thankful to be here today. I've always said that Sundays are my favorite day, and uh, being able to stand up here and to look at your faces and to see all of my Christian brothers and sisters who love God and want to serve God, who prioritize spiritual things, it's a great blessing to me to be able to stand up here. I appreciate your presence this morning. <clears throat> uh, if you've been in any biblical conversations with me or Bible studies or listen to my sermons over the last year or so, there's been a, a great emphasis I've put on uh, seeking God, trusting God, and that's mainly because I've struggled to emphasize that aspect of Christianity. A lot of times I felt like I am just doing things for God and the relationship aspect of Christianity has been left out. And so as I sit down and study the Word, as I listen to sermons, that's kind of my perspective as I listen to, listen to different things. And about a month ago, I was listening to a podcast, and a guy briefly mentioned a story that's found in Genesis chapter 32. So I immediately got my phone out. I put the tractor in park, maybe. I can't remember. I got my phone out, and I began to read about this story you know, I've read this story a lot of times with my kids. I've even watched cartoons that depict this story. Um, I've read it in my own Bible study, but I've never really stopped to really think about what's going on here. And I think there's a great lesson for us to, to learn about drawing closer to God. And that is, drawing closer to God is not always an easy thing. Drawing closer to God and trusting Him often is difficult, it's dangerous. It's hard, and it may look a lot more like wrestling than we would imagine. So this morning, the sermon I want to talk about is from Genesis chapter 32, and I've entitled the lesson, Wrestling with God. And this is the story of a man by the name of Jacob. And I want to turn over to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read quite a bit of this, so I invite you to get out your Bibles uh, in your pew and follow along as we read. Genesis chapter 32, this is a story of Jacob wrestling with God. To catch you up a little bit on the context, 20 years ago, Jacob uh, ran away from his family. He pulled some stunts, he made his brother mad, and his brother said, I'm going to kill my brother. His brother Esau said, I'm going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob's parents arranged for him to leave, and he goes to live with the family of Jacob's mom, whose name is Rebecca. And now, after 20 years, God's calling him back. This is the land that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. But Jacob's been living afar off, and God has called him back. And so Jacob is going to try to trust God. And here's the problem. He's going to have to reconcile with his brother. He's going to have to meet his brother. How is his brother going to handle this? How is his brother going to react? So in Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. 
Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. 400 men, is that a welcome party? Are they going to have a fiesta whenever he gets there? No. That's a military. That is a large group of men. And Jacob's immediate thought was, in verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Wouldn't you? I've been threatened with things in my life. I've never been threatened for someone to come kill me. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what kind of distress is involved with knowing that my brother who hates me is coming and he might, may not only kill me, but he may kill my family, my, my wives, my children. I only have one wife, by the way. Jacob had multiple wives, so I better specify that. <clears throat> Sometimes you can't, uh, you can't even make it up. So, um, I don't know what kind of stress Jacob was under, but it was a tremendous amount of stress. And God has called him into this situation, and it's hard. And in verse 9... We see that Jacob does what we all should. He turns to God and he prays. And he calls upon God for help in his desperate hour. Now, uh, as we skip down, um, we see that after he gets done praying, he comes up with this, this plan. He's going to send all these different waves of animals. And he's going to first send a bunch of, of sheep and then a bunch of rams then a bunch of camels. And all these are going to be gifts to kind of appease Esau. And hopefully, by the time he gets to Jacob, at the end of all these waves of gifts, his heart will be softened. And as he sends these gifts, in verse 24, the Bible says, or excuse me, in verse 22, he rose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over what he had. So the very last group of people goes over the river, and then verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, this is, this is the man, he said, let me go for the day breaks, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. The Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask me about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip of the socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. And then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. We're going to stop reading right there. This is a really, really interesting story. 
And it's odd. It's kind of random. When we see God interact with man, what do we see a lot of times? He comes down and he has a conversation. Okay? We see him do that with Moses, with the burning bush. He has a conversation. He gives encouragement to Moses. We don't see that here. All we see is that Jacob is there all by himself, and all of a sudden, there's a man wrestling with him. There's no dialogue. We don't know of anything. And they wrestle, and they wrestle, and they wrestle, and they wrestle all night till the sun is approaching. And then this man, who couldn't seem to get any leverage on him or to beat him, all of a sudden just touches his hip socket. Boom. Knocks it out of socket. But Jacob still holds on. He's not wrestling anymore, but he's holding on. And he begs this man for a blessing. Jacob knows this is no ordinary man. This is God. And he's, he names this place Penuel, for I've seen the face of God. And thankfully, after this, Jacob, in his new state of, being, of limping, his new state of humility, his new state of transformation, he goes to meet his brother, and they reconcile, and his life is spared. But I've got a lot of questions about the things that went on here. Why did God choose to wrestle Jacob? That's the first one. Why did he choose to wrestle? Was it good? Was it bad? Was he an enemy? Was he a friend? Secondly, another question I have is, what's the deal with this name change? Why does he change his name from Jacob to Israel? I never really thought about that until I began to study this. And then... Um, I can't remember the third one, but we'll just leave it with those two questions. Oh, the question is, is what is that relevant to me for? Okay, It's interesting that Jacob uh, wrestled with him, that God initiated this wrestling match, but does God wrestle us today? It, and if he does, okay, but if he doesn't, what can you and I learn from this? Maybe not that we physically wrestle with him, but maybe that he wants to wrestle and he wants to struggle with us when we resist his will. So that's kind of the idea that I want to talk about today. And I want to uh, examine uh, four specific things about this story. The first one is that Jacob struggled to trust God to bless him. If we really want to understand why God chose to wrestle Jacob, we need to understand who Jacob was. We need to understand who Jacob was. And the reality was Jacob struggled to trust God to bless him. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. We find God comes and meets with Abraham, and he enters into this covenant relationship with Abraham. And he calls Abraham to follow him and to be uh, a disciple of God and to be his people. And in exchange, God promises to bless Abraham. God promises him that he's going to have a large family and many descendants. God promises that he will inherit a land, which we know is the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. And then God says, I'm going to use your family to redeem mankind from, his, from its sins. So Abraham enters into this relationship with God, and God blesses Abraham. Abraham has a son by the name of Isaac, and God continues that promise going forward with Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons by the name of Jacob and Esau. And in Genesis chapter 25, beginning with verse 24, the Bible talks about Rebekah, and it says, When her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, he was 
like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Esau means hairy in Hebrew. And afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's hill, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was six years old when she, when she bore them. So Esau was named Esau because he was hairy, and Jacob was called Jacob, as you can see, because he took hold of Esau's hill. Now, if you look at the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is Yaakob, and it literally means hill catcher or supplanter in a more figurative sense. Now, if you're like me, you don't really know what the word supplanter is. And so I went and looked that up. The word supplanter means someone or something taking the place of another as through force, as through scheming, strategy, or the like. So what we didn't talk about was that God came to Rebecca and told her that Jacob was going to be the chosen one. And that was contrary to the culture. Usually the oldest one would receive the blessings. And Esau, because he was oldest, would become the one who received the birthright and received the blessing, and he would take the place of honor after the father died. But God told Rebecca, Jacob's going to be the one that's blessed. But you see here that Jacob's character is that of a hill grabber, that of someone who supplants, someone who schemes and works and tries to take someone else's place, not as a gift, not in the right way, but as someone who does it through scheming and strategy. And ultimately, that is who Jacob was. Immediately following this verse, we read the story about Jacob taking advantage of a weak moment of Esau's. Esau uh, comes home from a, a day hunting. He had an unsuccessful day hunting. And Jacob's right there, and he had been cooking this bowl of stew. And Esau says, hey, let me have some of that. And as any brother would, he was thinking about, what are you going to give me? Except for Jacob knew exactly what he wanted. He wanted that birthright. And so he makes this bargain with Esau. Esau made a horrible, horrible trade. And Jacob was right there to take advantage of his brother because Jacob was consumed with this guy. Jacob was worried about this guy getting blessings and getting promoted in this life. So Jacob takes advantage of Esau's weak moment. Later on in Genesis chapter 27, we see that Jacob gets Esau again. Isaac, their father, had become old and he was blind. And he comes to Esau and he says, I want you to fix my favorite recipe, cook the food just the way you like it, and I'm going to give you this blessing. Rebecca, she prefers Jacob. And so what does she do? She comes up with this scheme with Jacob that they're going to trick Isaac. And what they end up doing is they take advantage of an old man who's sick and who's blind, and they deceive him into giving Jacob the blessing over Esau. That's pretty low, if you ask me. But it was all about what Jacob could get. Getting him the blessings, getting him the honor, getting him the stuff that he wants. When Esau finds out, he says, Is he not rightly named, in Genesis 27, 36, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. Esau figured it out. Jacob was not a very good guy. He, and, and, and Jacob is all about supplanting him and taking the things that belong to Esau. 
And in verse 41, the Bible says, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau said in his mind, The way to fix this issue is to kill Jacob, and then I can get all the stuff that he has taken from me. And so what Jacob's parents do is they decide to send him up, like I said earlier. And Jacob goes, and he begins to live with this man by the name of Laban. He falls in love with his daughter, Rachel, and Laban tricks him into marrying, not Rachel, but Leah. And he kind of turns it on him. You remember how Jacob took advantage of a man who could not see? Well, Laban did the same thing back to, to Jacob. He woke up, and he wasn't married to Rachel. He was married to Leah. Laban pulled a smooth one on him. Okay? And we see that over 20 years, Laban changes the wages that Jacob works for 10 times. Jacob takes advantage of him, and what they end up doing is that they end up, yeah, they end up scamming each other for a period of 20 years, okay? They're trying to outwit each other. They're trying to get an upper hand, just like what you would, might see in today's world. What can I get, and I don't care about what it costs you. And then in Genesis chapter 31, we see that God calls Jacob back to the promised land. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. God had promised to give all the blessings to Jacob, but we see what happened. He ended up in a faraway place, way far away from the land that God promised all because he chose to take matters into his own hands and all because he was not willing to trust God. And so I have highlighted in this summary of Jacob's life the kind of person he was. He was a kind to take advantage of others. He was a kind who was willing to steal. He was a kind of man who was willing to deceive. And he was a kind of man who was willing to scam all at other people's expense. And what we see in his life is that Jacob's life was a train wreck because he turned to sinful ways to obtain the blessings that God had already promised to him. When he left his family, he never got to see his mom again. He had lied to his dad. His brother hated him. So he go gets a fresh new start. And how does that end up? His father-in-law hates him and wants to kill him. Everywhere Jacob goes, he uses his own deceitful, scheming ways. And it all comes back to this one thing. He would not trust God. He did not think God would hold up his end of the bargain. And everywhere he went, he made it harder for himself and the O's around him. Proverbs 13, verse 15, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Jacob lived this out. When we are unfaithful to God and we try to live by our own ways, we make it hard on ourselves. And Jacob's lack of trust was what led him down this path. Psalms chapter 34, verse 8 says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Jacob wanted blessings from God. He wanted a blessed life. What should he have done? He should have trusted God and allowed God to work things on his own timing and in his own ways. So, Jacob's life was a wreck because of his lack of, of trust. And isn't it the same for you and I today? When we choose to go our own way, when we choose to disregard what the Bible says, 
I don't know if that's going to work out right. And we choose to ignore what the Scripture says because we don't trust that God's way is best. What happens? Like Jacob, the problems and flaws in our lives stem from a lack of faith in God and us turning to our own ways. God has laid out the straight and narrow, and when we go astray, that's when life gets hard. And what we see from this story is that Jacob struggled to trust God to bless him. Now, not all is lost, because God loves Jacob. Jacob is one of his children, and God is not willing to just let him go off and not bring him back. And so what we see is that God uses adversity to bring Jacob back to him and to build his faith. God used adversity to build Jacob's faith. And the situation that God brings him into, we've already talked about. He calls him back to the promised land. And here's the situation where he's going to meet up with Esau. And we see the great pain and distress or the fear and distress that he was under. In verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. He was He was afraid as anybody would be. But he had to wrestle with that fear, and he had to wrestle with those doubts and those emotions. And we see what he does is he turns to the only one. Jacob couldn't scheme his way out of this one. He couldn't run. He couldn't hide. Only thing he could do was turn to God. And we see in this prayer, in Genesis chapter 32, verse 9, we see him placing his faith in the promises of God and relying upon the character of God. In verse 9, the Bible says, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant, for I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children." For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he has this fear, and he does exactly what he should do. Turn to God and trust in Him. And what he does, notice what he reminds God of in this prayer. Remember how you said, I will deal well with you? Remember how you said, I will surely treat you well? And I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. If Esau kills me, you have not kept your promises. He relied on the faithfulness of God, and he reminded God of his faithfulness. So, but what we see is here, he's a man that's unsure. We see a man who's struggling. We see a man who's going through a very, very difficult time in his life. Every time he had a problem in his life in the past, what did he do? He took off running. That's all he's ever done. But now God's bringing him to a place where he can reconcile with his brother. But that's a scary, scary idea. And we see him wrestling and struggling with this inwardly. So God knew Jacob struggled to trust him. And what God did is he led Jacob into a difficult situation where his faith was put to the test. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to say here tonight or this morning that every time we face affliction or every time we face difficulty, it's God doing that. That's not what I'm saying here. God can use any difficulty, any trial, and any affliction for our benefit. But God does use opportunities to build our faith and puts us in positions where our faith can be tested. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 is a great uh, passage that talks about this. We refer to this quite often. 
In the book of James chapter 1, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What he says to do right there in the first part of this, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, that is not something that comes natural to us, is it? It's not easy to face trials and to be happy about it. It's easy to be frustrated and mad and anxious and fearful. Those are our natural reactions. But we're to count it all joy. Why? Let's read the next verse. Because we know that the testing of of your faith produces patience. That word know means to understand, to have a knowledge of. Do you know that God allows tests of our faith to produce patience? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Or do you not believe that? James says that we need to know that the testing of our faith has a purpose. God can use it for a purpose to produce patience or endurance in our lives. And ultimately, what God's ultimate goal is, is that we are perfect and complete. Complete Christians, that we have lack of nothing. God's ultimate goal is to help us grow to be perfect and complete. And when we look into Jacob's life, he had this big flaw. He was trying to get blessings without God. He was trying to get blessings his own way. So what does God do? He allows his faith to be tested so that he can grow and he can be more spiritually minded. He can become closer to him and a better child of God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. There's a lot of passages of Scripture that talk to fathers about correcting and disciplining our children. And God is the exact same. Those that He loves, He corrects. Jacob needed correction. He was off in the far country. He was doing things his own way. And God needed to correct him and get him back on the right path. And God does the exact same thing for you and for I, you and me today. Like with Jacob, God recognizes the areas we struggle to trust Him, and He will give us opportunities to build our faith. Sometimes those are easy, and sometimes those require difficult things. So God used adversity to build Jacob's faith. The next thing, we see that Jacob prayed to God for deliverance, and God's answer was a wrestling match. God decides to come to him in the middle of the night and wrestle with him. So let's go to 24 and let's, let's read what takes place here. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Let's think about Jacob, okay? He's tired, he's exhausted, he's been traveling, he's worried, he's concerned, he's distressed, he's scared. And all he wants from God is assurance that God will take care of him and God will make everything okay. And he asked God for deliverance. A simple request, God deliver me from your brother. And God's answer was, let's roll around in the dirt and wrestle and get sweaty all night long. You thought you were tired, I'm going to wear you out. And they wrestled all night. And we see that it was an even match. No one prevailed over the other. It was an even match until daybreak until God knocked his hip out of joint with a simple touch. So what was God's goal in wrestling with Jacob? 
Was he trying to kill him? No. Jacob is his son. What he's trying to do is he's trying to build Jacob's character. He's trying to transform Jacob. And transformation doesn't always come easy. Oftentimes, it comes with sleepless nights. It comes with a guilty conscience that needs to be pure. It comes with our will wrestling with God and us finally submitting to Him and doing what we know we should. That's difficult. I know what I want. I want to pray to God and say, God, transform me, and then boom, it happens. That's not the way it always works. And sometimes God has to get down to the nitty-gritty, the deep down inside of me and inside of you to work those things out and get rid of those. Sometimes it requires a little pushing back and forth between us and Him. And we might even get injured or scarred in the process. So we see that God came in opposition to Jacob, not to destroy him, but to help him grow, to help him and to benefit him. When I think about prayer, this is the verse that mostly comes to mind, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where God says, or where the Bible says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We as Christians are told that we need to turn our fears over to God not to be anxious, and to let him know what's on our hearts. And that's exactly what Jacob did. Jacob thought he knew what he needed, but he didn't. Jacob was so focused on this problem out there named Esau. And in Jacob's mind, Esau was the biggest problem of his life. But what God realized was that Esau wasn't the problem in Jacob's life. Jacob was the problem. Jacob was the one who needed to be fixed. And God wasn't willing to just make it super easy for Jacob, and make the problem go away. He wanted to fix Jacob's character. I think a lot of times we pray and we expect God to just provide those things. We pray for patience, and then here you go, here's your little patience. We pray for strength, here's your little strength. We pray for a problem to go away, and God makes it go away. And that's not what God says here. God says that he'll provide us peace as we endure that problem. He never says that he's going to make it go away. Go away. <clears throat> so God came in opposition to Jacob. And like Jacob, we may want God to fix our problems, but God is more interested in building our faith and correcting our character flaws than he is on making our problems go away. So God answered Jacob with a wrestling match. And then finally, Jacob prevailed in his defeat. Jacob prevailed in his defeat. Let's read this passage. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So, Jacob's hip is put out of socket. Now, I've never participated in combat sports, 
but I've watched it plenty of times. And last time I checked, uh, Jacob was the guy who lost. If you get your hip knocked out of socket, you lose. Okay? And Jacob did lose physically. He was way out of his league when it came to his physical strength and his uh, physical ability to wrestle. Jacob was physically defeated, but that's not what's important. It was the spiritual victory that Jacob won. In verse 26, he pleads with the man. He says, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So after Jacob has been physically injured, he can't wrestle anymore. He's done wrestling. In fact, he's done running. He's done doing a lot of things. The Bible says after this wrestling match that he limps away. He's done. He's physically unable. And when he sees Esau tomorrow, he can't run away. He can't fight. It's only up to God. And we see in this breaking that he does, Jacob changes his strategy. He's not wrestling anymore, but notice what he says. He says, let me go for the day breaks. What does Jacob do? He grabs a hold of this person because he realized this is no ordinary person. Jacob was exhausted. He was emotionally spent, and now he was injured. And now he's just going to hold on. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 3 and 4, Hosea talks about this, and he says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel. There he spoke to us. So Jacob was exhausted, emotionally wept. He was crying. He was tired. He was at, its wit, at his wit's end. But you know what he decided to do? I'm not going to let go. I've got God right here. And I'm going to finally do what I should have done all along. Stop trying to get blessings on my own and doing things my own way. I'm going to hold on tight to God until God gives me the blessings. That's what he decided. You know, I uh, applaud Jacob for this. When I think about uh, my children and me, oftentimes they love to come near to me. Unless mom's around, then they want to go be with her. We're around each other. We wrestle. We hug. We hold hands. We embrace when, when they need comfort. We do all sorts of things. But there's one particular instance that happens when my kids don't want anything to do with me. And they want a lot of distance. That's when I'm being disciplined. Or that's when they're being disciplined. They know what's coming. They, they know pain's coming. They don't want to be anywhere near me. Jacob was experiencing that pain. He was experiencing the discipline of God. And he said, I don't care what you're doing to me. I don't care what happens. I want you. Drawing closer to God and trusting God was something that brought pain into Jacob's life. And he was willing to hold on throughout that pain. The same could be true for you and I. When we do what's right, oftentimes it's going to bring in things that are difficult in our lives. It may bring in shame. It may bring in pain, frustration. But when God calls us to do it, it's for our benefit. Jacob recognized that he could get, finally get his blessing from God and he held on tight. In verse 27, the man says, what is your name? And he says, Jacob, do you think this man knew Jacob's name or not? I think he knew. But when Jacob asked for a blessing, 
what the man says is, tell me your name. And we, we can't know for sure, but I think the idea was is he wanted Jacob to acknowledge who Jacob was. I am Jacob. I'm the schemer. I'm the supplanter. I'm the guy who schemed and worked my way to get blessings on my own all my life. In a way, this was a confession. And the man says, no longer. You are no longer Jacob, but your name shall, shall be called Israel, for you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. This night changed Jacob. And the man that he was wrestling with recognized that in this name change. You're no longer the supplanter. You're no longer the schemer. You're no longer the person who takes advantage of others to get blessings. You're the person who is close to God and has struggled with God and you've gained the victory over God. <clears throat> it's interesting to me that the children of Israel are called the children of Israel. In the Old Testament, God's people were not the perfect people, the moral people, the good people, the righteous people. Who were they? They were the people who had flaws and failures, but they were near to God, and when they entered into a relationship with God, it became a struggle as God called them to be holy and God called them to be righteous. And the same is true for you and I today. When we enter into a relationship with God, we're not asking Him for to, ma to make our lives easy. What we're asking for is for Him to struggle with us, to be willing to struggle with us, to see our flaws, to see our failures, and to help us struggle out of those. The victory for Jacob was not some tangible thing that he could hold in his hand. Some amount of money, some blessing... But the victory for Jacob was the fact that his faith was now stronger in God. The victory was that he was closer to God. And the victory was that God had helped him become spiritually transformed from this moment on. So like Jacob, God wants to transform you and I. And if we will trust him and we learn to hold on to him and go to him for our blessings and don't turn to illicit and sinful ways for our blessings... We will be blessed. So, as we begin to wrap up this morning, we see on the left-hand side, on your left-hand side, Jacob struggled to trust in God for the blessings. We do too. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own ways. Jacob had his flaws, and you and I have our own. God used adversity to build Jacob's faith. And God can use adversity to build our faith as well. When we need a wake-up call, God will give it to us, just like he did with Jacob. We see that God answered Jacob with a wrestling match. Jacob wanted a simple, easy answer. Fix this, make me better, and I'm done. But the transformation took a lot more work. Sometimes our faith-building exercises or experiences will look a lot more like a wrestling match. Finally, Jacob prevailed in his defeat. When God defeated him, Jacob was blessed. And the same is true with you and I. If we will enter into the wrestling arena and we allow God to work on us and to mold us and to struggle with him, what we do is we invite him to defeat us, but in return to replace us with a spiritually minded person, to replace us with someone who is more like God. As we wrap up this morning, I want to end with these two passages of Scripture. Someone used this top Scripture a few weeks ago, and it was just 
uh, a profound thought to me. Psalms 119, verses 67. The writer says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The writer recognized what God does with afflictions. He uses afflictions to keep us on the right path. And the same is true for you and I. And it all comes back to who He is. He is a good God. He loves us. He cares for us. He cares for us too much to let us just to keep doing our own thing, destroying lives around us. And in Psalms 119.75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. It's so hard to view afflictions as something to be joyful about. And our natural inclination is to be frustrated. And our natural inclination is to run away from those. But when God brings those afflictions into our life, He's not doing it because we're His enemy. He's not doing it because we're ma- He's mad. He's not doing it because He wants to punish us. He's doing it to afflict us so that He can be faithful to us as a father and bring us back into the right walk with Him. So I hope that as you think about these things this morning, you recognize that sometimes doing the right thing, sometimes drawing closer to God may be very difficult, may be very hard, and that's the way God intended it. He wants us to grow. He wants to push us out of our comfort zones, and I hope that He will do that with each one of us today. As we wrap up the lesson this morning, I've got a question. Are you ready to wrestle? Are you ready to wrestle with God? God calls for each and every person to be closer to Him, to be nearer to Him. And when we do, we recognize it might take wrestling to fix us. It might take wrestling and a struggle to get us to be better. If you have not done that this morning and you've run away from God and you're resisting Him and you're trying to stay far away from Him, you can't have the blessings of God until you're ready to wrestle. So if you need help this morning, you want the congregation here to help you, we're going to sing an invitation song. If there's something we can do for you, if we could help you to become a Christian, if we could pray for you, let us know how we can help you as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.